I'm Brian. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers. And we will go into detail about the topics we discuss. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. In this episode, a tiny fan reviews Tiny Titans, Akira gets a live-action treatment, and we review the foundation from Boom Boom Studios! All right, welcome back to the third episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast, or as we're calling it, the Gamma episode. Unfortunately, you know, I I called it the Gamma episode, but there's no mention of the Hulk in here. Um, Biggest news last week, immediately after recording uh, last week's show, Hot across the wire was the uh, announcement that Akira is getting the live action treatment. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio had purchased the rights along with Warner Brothers to bring the Akira uh, adaptation to the big screen. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever read the manga or if you have seen the anime movie, nope. but I'm in love with both of them. And to hear the big thing, this was the quote up on the uh, Hollywood Reporter the new story moves the action to New Manhattan, a city rebuilt by Japanese money, which. I don't know, really kind of goes against the nature of what Akira was all about and just sends up red flags left and right for me. Well, but my here's my concern. I think that um, you get a movie like uh, V for Vendetta. Right. Um, a lot of people like that, but it lost a lot of its punch yes. because the political climate has changed in the world, so they had to adapt it. So, you know, this isn't going to be like, you know, post-apocalyptic Tokyo is not the same thing as post-apocalyptic <laughs> Manhattan. True, saying as how an apocalypse, you know, an apocalypse of sorts did happen in Japan. Well, and the same thing came up you, when we were talking originally about uh, Watchmen. That the fact that are were they going to try to base it in today's reality because now there's right. no rush, there's no countdown right. to yeah. extinction. Yeah, but, this, but at least what they're doing with uh, Watchmen is they are setting it in 1985. Right. So I mean that kind of helps. And you know Neo Tokyo, Future Tokyo, whatever you want to call it from Akira was I think still far enough ahead in the future where um, I don't know just setting it in Manhattan just doesn't make sense. And I've heard some things from people that currently live in Japan who have said that. You know, the dynamics of school life and kids and drugs is really altered drastically from when this uh, manga and when the anime first came mm-hmm. out. Yeah, so even then, it may not make sense to set it in a Japan-type situation. Yeah, but for the for the major market of the U.S., I mean, you can say this is the way it is in Japan, and no one's really going to have any that kind is of concept true too. that that's different now. So. Tokyo Drift, anyone? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other thing that might be kind of a concern, and I, I wasn't able to see if this was an actual fact or not, was that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio may be playing uh, a Canada. Or right. Canada! Canada! You know, in, the, in, in the film, which, again, if it's set in New Manhattan or whatever, that might work. The characters, he's certainly much older than the characters in the original source material. So that's, I'm just a little That's what I was thinking. Well, he and I think, I think something I saw, it's going to actually be a musical. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. Zach, Zach Tetsuo, Tetsuo, <laughs> oh, come here, oh, Tetsuo. My, my arm's growing out of proportion. <laughs> Giant teddy bear trying to kill me. Let's okay. move on. Uh, since we're still on the anime uh, topic there, uh, the, one that, the, the next thing that I'm really excited about is finally we have the release date for the Batman Gotham Knights direct-to-DVD um, movie that's coming out. Well, actually, it's not one movie. It's a series of short uh, six-minute, or not six-minute, six short movies all strung together uh, that tell tales that take place between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. And there's some great talent writing some of these short stories. I mean, we've got David Goyer, 
like him or not like him, depending on what you've seen him work on, uh, Josh Olson, uh, just so many other people that are that are bringing this uh, piece to life. And it's kind of done in an anime style. For those of you that saw the Animatrix, I think this is going to be very similar to what that series of films were. Mm-hmm. Uh, the new film, or this will be released about 10 days before Dark Knight hits the theaters on July 8th. Yeah, 10 days. I just saw that. Is that that seems like a little short to me. I know that there's going to be a buildup and, and you know, it's a bigger marketing punch to put things around that, but th- I think you would release that in adva- a little further in advance. Yeah, that's what I was hoping, too, that we would see it maybe three to four weeks, maybe a month before it hit the theaters. I really have a feeling that fans aren't going to have enough time to go down to their store, pick it up, watch it, and then go see it in the movie. But on the other hand, you, if you're Warner Brothers, maybe you're thinking, we want people to go down to the store, pick this up, and watch it, and then go to the movie theater to see it. Yeah. Well, and I remember somebody talking about the fact that uh, the turnaround between something being in the theaters and being in DVD, that eventually we'll see a turnaround that's a lot shorter because then the the studios can combine their marketing punch and just do one big campaign for the movie that which will trail over into the DVD. Like it'd be like a, a series of weeks before it would be available on DVD. So maybe they're well, thinking of combining this kind of a you know, marketing actually, punch. No, actually, on one of the articles that I wrote this week on major spoilers in regards to uh, Boom Studio, one of the companies we're talking about tonight, they had released, I forget what it was, uh, Northwind was their uh, issue. They released that online for free the same day that it hit retail stores. And a lot of local comic book shops said, oh, no, 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 we don't want to do that. That's, it's, we're going to lose business. And it come to find out that issue number four, which is currently being solicited, has an increase in sales of 30%. Now, they mm. would have only gotten that sales data after the first issue had been released. Uh, issues two and three had already been solicited. But this idea of releasing on the same day in a different format, I think, works very well. Uh, even Steven Soderbergh, uh, in his movie Bubble, I don't know if you saw that one, Rodrigo, mm. but what he did was he did this experiment where he wanted to release it in the theaters the same day it was released on DVD, thinking that, you know, there's a large right. audience that would like that. to see this movie and maybe just want to sit it and watch it in their home theater. And I think... Um, the Independent Film Channel, IF, what is it, IFC, IFC. Uh, I think they've done some things, too, where they've released independent movies on IFC the same day that it was in the theater so that you could have a wider base of, uh, of audience. And I, so I think something like this might work with, with Gotham Knights, but I, I agree with you, Brian. I think 10 days is not long enough. Well, I think it worked out well for um, Clone Wars, the Cartoon True. Network right. one, I, but... You, that campaign, I mean, it was since uh, it was a time between episodes two and three. Right. Um, and that built a lot of hype because, you know, in the, what, two or three years between the two movies, mm-hmm. all of these episodes kept coming out and then the DVDs were released. And that was kind of a, even though that's not how they wanted it, it was kind of like this slow, methodical campaign that continued to build hype about the movies. Did you guys watch the behind the scenes piece from YouTube? Of uh, Gotham, this Knights. Gotham Knights. Oh yeah, yeah. We talked about it. I think a couple weeks ago. It, it. I thought that was really exciting. I think I like the idea reimagined in different ways. And you said there's six different. Yeah, stories? six short stories. I only counted three different looks of Batman. Is are they? They might be all, holding some back. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And Build even one hype. of one of them looked really kind of creepy and strange. But to me, I think that's neat to see different people's takes on something like that. Cool. I. July 8th, we'll uh, probably try to do a review of that before the Dark Knight movie drops so people can have uh, some thoughts on that. And what? And just an aside, what's the schedule for release for superhero comic book properties during the summer? As far as? 
Batman comes out when? The movie? Yeah. July 18th. And then I guess, what, is Iron Man the Iron Man comes out one? like May, I believe. I'd have to, oh, you, uh, okay. It comes out before, and then I think the Hulk is not soon after that, uh, mm-hmm. just a couple months really? later. So the Hulk Bat- is already ready to go? Pretty much, is from oh, what, my know. understanding. It comes out this year. Oh, I there, didn't know that. Yeah. There, there, I think as soon as Iron Man drops, you're going to see the Hulk, Hulk ramp spike. Yeah. Yep. Oh, wow. And I think the only reason they're doing that is because of what happened with the Hulk before. Yeah. And just like, you know, there's another X-Files movie coming out, uh, is it this summer? Next oh, year? I've not heard of that. And again, it's one that's coming up very quickly. The first trailer for that was seen at WonderCon this past week in, in San Francisco. So mm-hmm. if you can go online and find it, I, I saw the trailer. I wasn't too impressed with the X-Files. But, I mean, we're going to see a lot of big movies that people are going to be familiar with that just aren't getting the month-ahead you know, hype, the months and months, sometimes a year-ahead hype, like right. what we're seeing with the Star Trek trailer. Uh, Indiana Jones, you know, that trailer only came out a few weeks ago, and it's coming up in May. So. All right. Uh, just a couple other things people might want to check out on the website. Uh, Matthew Peterson is back with his Hero Histories. He's got two great entries uh, over the last two weeks, uh, one covering mon that guy trapped in the Phantom Zone, allergic to lead, Superman's cousin, well, supposed cousin or half-brother, long-lost brother, yeah. and then the Invisible Kid, uh, which might uh, we might want to talk about a little bit later with uh, Brian's question of the week. But you can check those out at uh, Majorspoilers.com. And the final item that we have this week is, have you guys checked out these uh, ads that the, that Marvel has been running? On on your website, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Who who Do You Trust who and Everybody's trust, a yeah. Scroll. Yeah. Now, Brian, you've been around comics long enough. Do you know about the Scroll? You know what? Actually, never. they, they were never a big player when I was reading comic books. What uh, about you, Rodrigo? No. Well, I've, I've picked up a few things that have scrolls in them. It seems that, uh, you know, the, the scrolls are the typical kind of build paranoia thing. Right. I think... Um, cause I remember, um, I think it was either in the heroes reborn universe or immediately after there was something that was exactly the same. They were saying like one in every 10 people in the U S is a scroll and all these heroes are going to be scrolls and stuff like that. And hmm. it just kind of fizzled out. So I, I have to go back and check on that. But it like, I started seeing this and I was like, I'm pretty sure they've done this <laughs> before. Well, certainly something that's interesting. I like the uh, Greg Horn work, uh, the guy who's doing all the painting. I just love his work. I know some people uh, don't appreciate it, but he's the same one that did the cover to uh, Jenna Jameson's Shadowhunter that we mm-hmm. reviewed last week. Yeah. I just think his art is is really nice. He's not like, unfortunately, like Greg Land, who is doing some actual lifting stuff. This is some real artwork, although it is getting kind of silly. We've seen Wolverine. I think everyone got excited about that. Then the second one was Hawkeye. Right. And then Hercules, and then right. the latest one that just was announced today is uh, is uh, Phoenix, Phoenix or, right. or Jean Grey. So check them out if you like them. We'd like to see some feedback up on the major spoilers forums. If you go under the uh, section under Marvels called Scrolls, <laughs> you will find it there, and you guys can talk away all about the new Secret Invasion. Well, for a number of years, comic book manufacturers have made comic books for uh, you know about twelve year olds and up. Uh, and there's a real market for comic books for younger people, and Justice League Unlimited being one of the titles that uh, our family subscribes to, but that's going to be discontinued after a while. So Stephen gave us a book to look at. It's called Tiny Titans, and it's a new version of Teen Titans, which uh, the book they've got is actually being discontinued as well. But I sat down with my seven-year-old son, Jackson, and we took a look at Tiny Titans, and we're going to talk about his impression of this book, which looks like it's probably aimed right at his age group. So, Jax, first say hi. Hi. Okay. Jackson, let's talk about this book. We just we just read through it. 
Um, what do you think about this book? Do you think this was an interesting story? Uh, yeah, a little bit. It was funny and it was good and the characters were interesting and the characters were kind of funny and cool and I think it was pretty good. Okay. Now, the book itself is actually made up of a, sm- a series of small, short stories, actually. There wasn't any one continuous story through the entire book. Did did it make sense to you? Um, most of them did. Um, there's a maze in it, too, and... Okay, yeah, it had a series of different kinds of things. Um, one of the stories is about uh, the kids, um, and these are all very young versions of the Teen Titans, uh, Robin being the leader, and then we have uh, Speedy and Kid Flash and different characters like that. They are in an elementary school, and, and a bad guy is introduced as their new principal. And, and that was one of the stories. There was one about Beast Boy. I think that probably the one that I liked best was the one with Beast Boy getting a puppy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... It's kind of like a silly story, and the characters are kind of drawn, kind of silly. Well, yeah, that's one thing, too. What What do you think about the way the artist, and we've talked about this before yeah. when we've read comic books together, that from comic book to comic book, sometimes the artist interprets the character or draws mm-hmm. the characters differently. What did you think it, about this kind of style? Well, the big guys, like the grown-ups, are kind of like drawn pretty normally and the grown-ups are kind of drawn kind of evilly because all the grown-ups uh turn out to be evil that's at least what they look like yeah over the last year we've gotten had a subscription to justice league unlimited are you still interested in comic books and superheroes, or have you moved on to other interests? I'm still a little interested, and my interest has changed, like, every two years. It changes, like, first I liked Outer Space, then I liked superheroes, now I like Pokemon. That's right. And would you want to spend your money to get a subscription to a book like this? Did you find it interesting enough and funny enough? Or would you rather spend your money on something else? Something else, but it's still kind of fun to read a book of this once in a while and is still funny. Okay. Well, Jackson, hey, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for taking the time to let us talk about uh, a comic book like this. And, uh, We really appreciate it. Thanks. Brian, I think that's an excellent interview that you did with uh, Jackson. Oh, yeah. He he was really good with it. So what are some general thoughts then? I mean, uh, you've spent some time reading it, so you saw it from your son's perspective. But what about the older audience perspective? What did you think of Tiny Titans? Well, it it suffers from the same thing I've talked about. I think we've talked about it in the show, and I know I've talked about it with you before, that uh, these comics for kids, this one... And I'd also cite another one that's in the line, I believe, Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. They, they just, I don't know, they're just, they just don't make sense sometimes. Um, Looney Tunes, I can understand. It's really just a, characters running around. It's written for young kids. Um, I think the kids enjoy the, the characters, maybe. The, the story's probably kind of light or confusing. But um, I know reading it to them, it's kind of maddening for me. It's not, you know, it's not something that I enjoy. This... Um, 
I mean, it was just really a, a series of short stories, like we talked about before, about one-page stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think anything was great in it. There was one that I cited, the uh, where um, Beast Boy gets a puppy, which has no dialogue, which I think is really well done. I mean, you mm-hmm. can you can tell what's going on. It's kind of cute. But otherwise, I would agree with Jackson. I don't think if I was a parent and we were ordering this that I would be all that happy with it. I, I thought it was just okay. Uh, the one-shot joke stuff I think maybe little kids would get. Does Jackson read on his own yet? Oh, yeah. So was he able to read this through by himself, or is this a no, daddy-son bonding yeah, thing? Yeah, we, we sat there and looked at it because I was just... I, I wanted him to be able to go through it and then us to go right into the interview. But, yeah, he's in first grade. They're, I mean, they're teaching kids to read much earlier than when I was a kid. So, yeah. He Back could, in he the one-room sur- schoolhouse yeah. days. Uh, oh, the school marm. <laughs> Boy, if you didn't get <laughs> it right, <Brian>. smack. <laughs> well, no, he could have read this by himself, certainly. I, like I said, though, in the in what he was talking about, um, not sure that this would have kept his interest, frankly. So. Well, compare that to Justice League Unlimited, where the stories are a little bit more adult in nature. And you've brought a couple of copies with you tonight. Uh, I've been a big fan of Justice League Unlimited simply because I like the series. But those are really a little bit more mature stories yeah. for little kids. They are. The one nice thing about this, and I didn't mention this the first time we talked about ki- uh, comic kids or kids for comics, um, is that they have cut out the violence, um, right. at least in the ones that I noticed. You'll see the result of, say, Wonder Woman hitting someone. You'll see them laying someplace, maybe the pavement's cracked up, right? but you don't see the hit. And they, they, I think that's a conscious effort on their part, and a good thing, um, probably to deflect some criticism as well. Yeah, but there's this issue not too long ago where the Flash and Giganta were going oh, out yeah. on a date or something, right? Yeah. And she goes nuts, just like Giganta you would expect her to do. But she has this line of, I'm going to kill you, Flash. Yeah. And, you know, even that idea may not be appropriate for the younger set. But going back to Tiny Titans, I think that if you're looking for these short, one-hit joke characters that don't have a lot of character development, I mean, you know who they are just by name association only. You don't have to deal with all the teen angst that you find in, you know, like the regular Teen Titans title or even in the Teen Titans Go uh, animated series. This might just be for kids. I kind of gave it a three and a half out of five stars. I kind of rated it high, even though it wasn't my cup of tea. I think maybe for the younger generation and maybe for first graders, this might be something to take into the classroom to encourage kids to read. Yeah, I, I think the I like the Justice League better, uh, Justice League Unlimited, when they do morality sort of things or there's a moral to the story. Um, the one, the current one that's out, we get the subscription mailed to us, so we're three weeks back, I think right, is right. what it is. Um, and it's, it features the uh, Royal Flush Gang, and it, it's a good it's it's a good piece. It's well written. I like that as opposed to some of the other ones that I've complained about. But at the end of this one, somebody does the actually does the right thing, but in a wrong sort of way. So I'll give them credit for uh, that. But it the the person actually kind of threatens someone to get them to do the right thing in the end. So, mm. I mean, you know, I can be hypersensitive too. Now that I'm a parent, I might before have thought, oh, you know, maybe that's you're not just a big hypersensitive. Deal. Maybe I'm just hypersensitive. But no, but you know there's what? a lot of us out there I that think write it has letters. to do, we, I, need <laughs> to go, I need to go in and, and find the people who are writing these and go back because I think there is a definite change in who's telling the stories. There was an issue, and this is almost a year ago, I don't know if you were subscribing then, but it's a Stargirl Crimson Adventure story where they do the Freaky Friday thing and they flip positions. I, I know that guy. Oh, he you worked, do? The he guy wor- who wrote he it? Worked with, he worked at the uh, station I was at for about a year. His name's Jason Hall. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was a great story. It was, again, it's the Freaky Friday where you have to walk the mile in the other person's shoes. But I thought that was a great story with a great moral for kids. You know, it was the second time we read it. The first time we read it, I was a little bit grinding my teeth about how disrespectful she was right. to Crimson Adventure, but that's part of the setup. Right. But in today's world with little kids, what happens is they pick up, and a lot of the, uh, even, you know, things like the Sweet Life of Zack and Cody and stuff like that, the kids the what, are what? precocious. What, what? Yeah, this is a Disney <laughs> thing. Uh, the kids are Anna precocious. <laughs> They're, they're precocious, but they, they kind of act in a certain way, and the kids absorb that like a sponge. And so sometimes I'm a bit sensitive to you know people treating each other with respect. And with that, the first time through, I was kind of like, I don't know about that. But then we read it a couple times after that, and I think it held up much better. My initial reaction was probably a little bit too severe to it. But yeah, um, it, that was a good story. And, and in the end, again, in the end, they find common ground. And I think that's what... There's a place for that kind of comic, and I think that Justice League Unlimited is a good place for that. There's a problem. It's resolved. Everybody t- treats each other with respect. And, and there's a le- it, there's life a lesson learned yeah, yeah. at the end. Well, I tell you what, Brian, what I've done in your bag of goodies this week is I've slipped a couple issues of Franklin Richards in there, Boy Genius, from Marvel Comics. Huh. Uh, have you ever read Have you read any of those, Rodrigo? No, I haven't. It's kind of, the art style reminds me a lot of Calvin and Hobbes. Oh, and the adventures cool. are really kind of zany. Uh, I don't know if, if Franklin actually learns the lessons at the end. <laughs> well, come on. It, it's got to be. You, you gave us some books to look at. It's got to be better than Fantastic Four itself, right? I, you know, I read a couple. I read those issues today, or at least one of the issues that I slipped you. And it's fun. I think from a, you know, if you want to just blow your day off or 30 minutes off and just read something for fun, that's what Franklin Richards is, and, and maybe Jackson and you will enjoy that together. Okay. I'm just harping because over the course of my life, I've read about three Fantastic Four issues, and every time I put it down going, what's the point of this book? Maybe you <laughs> should avoid uh, looking at uh, the final Fantastic Four story by Stan Lee, or the last Fantastic Four story. I forget the exact title of it, but that may be one you want to avoid. Brian. Okay. All right. Uh, Rodrigo, we were kind of quiet. We didn't let you jump in. Any thoughts on kids, comics for kids, or at least Justice League and Tiny Titans? And Well, and I, I probably come, you know, I come from this as, you know, not a parent, because uh, I, I don't have any kids that, that you I know, know of. of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> yeah, if any of your girls are hearing this, I, I'm not giving out my address. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, Rodrigo at uh, MajorSpoilers.com. Where's the sound effects machine? Born. Um, no, uh, I think actually that uh, people have a tendency to underestimate kids. I think uh, kids, a lot of the time, and, you know, it depends on the age, but kids from, you know, first grade up, they can actually absorb and understand a lot of kind of uh, complex storylines. So you just have to make sure that you have a message in a, in a comic for kids, mm-hmm. a, a healthy message that you want to get across, and, you know, a little bit of action, a little bit of violence, a little bit of, uh, you know, something that the kid will be like, well, I don't necessarily understand this, also creates good fodder for them to show it to their uh, parents and their teachers hmm. and to start a conversation about it you know mm-hmm. you can do a lot of stuff um with the justice league with like weird looking guys like uh you know amazo or metamorpho you know the the x-men always have this undercurrent of uh intolerance and what right, it does right. to people so you can you can you know kids can absorb a lot of this stuff through comics i think all right thank you rodrigo 
Our first review of is going to be the Foundation issues one and two from Boom Studios. Foundation Boom. is yeah. Foundation is created by Cody Chamberlain, written by John Rosam, art by Chi, with the cover by Paul Azita. Azita, Rodrigo, am I saying that right? Uh, probably Azita. Okay. History shows that in the 1500s, Nostradamus's three volumes of prophecies were bestsellers, making him a very rich man. But what the world doesn't know is he took his vast treasure trove of riches and invested them in creating a foundation to prevent his prophecies from occurring. This secret team still functions today using Nostradamus's published and unpublished tomes predict, to predict threats to worldwide security. Why don't we go ahead and start with issue one and then kind of roll that into issue two. Rodrigo, we started first with you last week. Brian, you want to go first this week? Oh, yeah. Um, first, uh, just a note, I think there's a typo on page 13. <laughs> Why just, is just, that? Well, I think the guy the guy says something about um, think when he should say thing. Oh, okay. Just 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 a tiny little thing. I, I seem to recall that. that. I, I think I did see that. All right. Um, my thought about this is it, that it's a great concept. Um, I got into this and really liked it. I think it's incredibly well written. A good concept. The first book. Uh, it just kind of drops you into the story with some narration or thought narration by the uh, main character. Uh, a lot of probing and uh, thinking about what it is he's doing, asking himself kind of in a moral quandary. I like the concept of dropping us right into a story and letting the readers kind of sort things out or what's going on as the narrative continues. And uh, my last note on this is I wanted to read more. And we will look at book two here later. Yeah. Well, I just, essentially what Brian's yeah. talking about is the, it, our central character that we meet, Stephen Valentine, is sitting in this airport, and he's thinking, you know, why do I have to do it? What, you know, shouldn't this man might become a great scientist, or this man might be president, or this woman over here might do this, and yet I have to save this man, and everyone else has to die. And we don't know what this man who he's trying to save, what he's going to go and do, but they know, this group knows that he's working with, they know that this plane that he's about to board is going to crash, and in order to prevent, you know, to save his life, they have to kind of sideline him until the plane takes off, knowing that the plane's going to blow up. And th so th through the whole issue, he's just sitting there going, man, why do we have to let these other people die? What happens if we delay the plane? What happens if we try to save some other people's lives? And I just really love this idea, like you said, this this moral questioning that he has to do. What right do we have to let this man die and let every, or, you know, let this man live and let everyone else die? Yeah. Um I thought, you know, I, I kind of didn't like it all that much, honestly. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, we start out and, you know, everything's cool. And there's some slow reveals. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you see a guy working on the camera. You see a lady walking by and uh, slowly it's revealed that they're actually all in on it. Um, so that was cool. But I felt, um, you know, as the issue goes on, he's like going through his moral quandaries as the mission's happening. And then he's still going and then he's still going. And then the... It, the mission ends and it ends and I just thought you know throughout the whole time it was like uh, I, I got to it and it was like oh why do I have to do this all these people are gonna die I need to keep this guy from dying woe is me oh woe is me I'm still doing this oh if only the foundation wasn't like this oh if only this didn't work out this way right I think uh, you know if 
for me, I wish that half the issue had been that mission and his moral quandaries, and then the second half a little bit more about the foundation or a second mission that, or something like that. That would be the the main problem that I had with this first issue is you don't know what's going on. You don't even know what the foundation is oh, see, except what for what I've in- introduced people. I was like, are these people time travelers? Are they traveling back from the future? Uh, so I was a little confused by that, and it, it, essentially – that's the one main thing that I didn't like is, okay, where are these people from? Who are they? It did, as you said, Brian, it, it does bring up questions and makes you want to go deeper into it. And I, But I still thought this was a great buildup of an issue. I thought the pacing was really good. In fact, I had to go back and reread it a couple times to say, okay, who are all these people that are in on it? Mm-hmm. Is the gate the woman at the gate check? Is she in on it? Is it just more than the janitor and the, and the camera guy and the woman with the ketchup? You know, who's all in this? And then you start to really reveal that this is a big organization doing things. Ooh, this is kind of spooky. And then, you know, he goes to his hotel room and he's so distraught and upset about saving this man's life and everyone else has died that he essentially says in the... I I think it's the final panel of the issue. I'm getting out of this job. And right. that's kind of where we left everything. Yeah. I, I, and all those things that uh, you're talking about, that's the stuff I like. Um, I think that it grabs you. It, it To me, it's like a TV show where we run uh, a couple scenes before we go to credits, right. the opening credits. Right. Let's grab you, get you in, get you interested. And then what they do, which is in issue two, is to start answering those questions that you've mm-hmm. already built up. By reading the first issue. Yeah, and in the second issue, we find out more about the Foundation and how and why they were created. Uh, we find out some more of the characters and who they are. We've got Amanda, who's the head of the organization, and it turns out at the beginning of the story, she's telling them all about Nostradamus and the prophecies and the, I don't know, 30, 19, 20, some odd number of prophecies that were never published that Nostradamus feels are ones that are the most important and scary and what he used all his money to base the foundation on. And what they've done is over the years they've gone out and hired people from all walks of life, ATF, CIA, all the alphabet agencies, remote viewers, uh, psychics, to help kind of figure out what these prophecies mean and then try to prevent them from happening. And so in the beginning of issue two, uh, Stephen Valentine is going to quit the company. And at the same time, we're being introduced to a bunch of new characters, uh, one of them being uh, Calvin Thomas, uh, a man from the ATF who's just being brought on board. When I started reading this issue, it felt a lot like a cross between Alias, 24, The X-Files, Millennium, if you remember that TV show, which I thought was great. Um, the central plot then is revealed that there are terrorists. The prophecy says that the terrorists are going to poison the New York water supply, and they're going to let Stephen quit his job, providing that his last mission is to go train Calvin out in the field. And so we end up with this buddy-buddy type type uh, story. Well, and one of the things I like is when you explain that they there's a Nostradamus prophecy that What's nice about it is is they've thought along the same lines, the writers, of, of what the viewer or the reader is going to be thinking is, you know, how do you know it's New York City? It could be and, – and, and they talk about the skepticism that's actually sure. inherent in the people who do the job and which is helpful. You know, they're like, well, that could be a number of different cities with new in it that have water supplies that are this and that. And the book does a good job, I think, of explaining that, yes, all, the, all of these things would be going on, but we use these different methods to try to come up and to interpret these uh, prophecies. And so in my mind, what they did is a good job of kind of quelling all the arguments you would have in reading the book about, hey, this doesn't make any sense. So I appreciated that in the writing. Yeah, I thought I definitely thought uh, that was a good call. This is this this issue was was good. Um, 
I think maybe to a certain extent it's not the kind of story that I'm all that interested in. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, sort of from a more objective perspective, the pa- on this second uh, issue, the pacing was good. The interplay between the characters are, is good. You get kind of a... Um, I don't know, kind of a lethal weapon kind of yeah. thing. Like, you know, yeah. old guy wants to get out, new guys, right, right. you know, kind of itching to go. Although maybe not so much that, but, uh, you know, he's just kind of very skeptic about everything. Um, they kind of misunderstand each other at one point. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the best parts in the whole bit, the whole dialogue exchange. When uh, Stephen and, and Calvin are out in the woods scoping out this uh, cabin, Calvin asks why Stephen is quitting, and Stephen says he's not comfortable with the idea of the good of the many outweighing the needs of the few. And Calvin says, oh, you must be a Star Trek fan, you know, from Wrath of Khan. And Stephen looks at him, he says, no, that's Dickens from Tale of Two Cities. Don't you people read? And he thinks, because Calvin's a black man and he's a white man, Calvin instantly thinks, oh, this racial racial son of a gun. What do you mean by you people? And Stephen quickly puts that to rest by saying, no, 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 I don't mean racially. I mean generationally. What's wrong with you young people today? Uh, don't you read anything? And I just found that it's like three panels long. And I thought, man, what a brilliant little dialogue exchange that, that in this was, comic. Yeah, that was a really solid interaction. I was, I was into it. Um, you know, in the... Uh, in the end, for me, this comic book, uh, out of these two issues, really doesn't do it for me. Okay. But I, I appreciate the way it's put together. Brian, did you find... Now, I guess my my thought is readers may need to know a little bit about who Nostradamus is, remote viewing, psychic reading, some of the terrorist plots that may be out there. Did you do no, you know I much really, about that? Do you follow that kind of stuff? I didn't, because, but I don't know that you need to, because I think, again... They pepper in enough of those little explanations without giving you, you know, uh, what is it? What what in the old comic books when you had the yellow block? Oh, the editor's give, notes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, about what was going on. So not only, I mean, they, they mentioned the remote viewers, and then they later, in somebody else's talk, speaking to another character, they explain it or, or to say it in a different way that explains what that is. Right, right. I think what... Uh, what I like about it is probably that I just buy into the concept right off. I think it's a really cool idea. Uh, being that it's a cool idea, I think it's, I'm not going to say it's easy to write because I can't write very well myself. But, I mean, I think it, it probably gets rolling really easy for them. Um, like I said, I think the concept is really good. The end of book two is a cliffhanger, which makes me want to see right, what book what, three yeah, is. Yeah, definitely. And I'm really interested in the plot, uh, uh, the plot of the terrorist is what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, I mean, I would I would certainly want to see the next book and probably the book after that. So I would give this a pretty good rating. I like a good conspiracy theory. I like secret groups like the Illuminati. Uh, this is a story that's right up my alley. And like Brian said, I'm going to be on board with this, I think, until the end. The first issue might put some people off because of its there's so little information being revealed but i think it's if you stick with it i think there's a lot more going for it as we build up to the end i'm going to give the first two issues combined of the foundation 4.5 out of five stars brian yeah i don't know if i believe in the point system or the point five system <laughs> oh, come on. i'll just say i'll just say four but yeah okay. I'm, uh, with with the reluctancy to ever give anything a solid five because then you have no place else to go. But I, like I said, I enjoyed the concept, wanted to read more. So I think that's anything that they were aiming for was achieved when I read it. Rodrigo. Well, I'll uh, severely drop your average here. I thought, <laughs> I thought the uh, 
if if we had not been doing two issues, I probably would not have picked up the second issue. I thought the character, the grizzled old character, came across as a little whiny, and that kind of bothered me. Um, and I thought the art was honestly kind of uh, subpar. I thought there were times where it was confusing which character was uh, yeah. was talking or something like that. So I'm going to give it two stars. But see, what okay. I would say is, um, and I agree with the art, because there are times, uh, there's a piece in the first one where he pulls off a fake yes. face. And I thought he's, <laughs> he's pulling off his real was, face. Well, not only that, but he pulls that off in front of a panel of a woman changing clothes. Yes. And I thought, well, maybe he's changing into a woman's Yeah, outfit. that's what I thought too. And it was the woman who dropped the ketchup yeah. on it later. But so yeah, I would agree with you on it, that. It comes back to my argument, just for me personally, Art isn't that big of a deal. I mean, I, I, how bad does the art have to be to ruin the story? I think you can have, as long as the story is good, and I believe content is king in this, as long as you've got a good story, for me, the art doesn't have to be fantastic. I mean, the Jenna Jameson book, the art was way better than this. Right. Um, but this was kind of a more simplistic art. I think it went with the book. I don't think it distracted any for me. But to me, the story is so strong that, that the art really doesn't matter so much. It to took me. a little while for the art to grow on me, but it did. And, you know, I, I kind of uh, appreciated that. So it sounds like our average then after Rodrigo calculates it, and we're somewhere around a three out of five from the three panel members yeah. uh, for the first two issues of The Foundation from Boom Studios out now. As kind of a bonus, uh, Paramount actually has bought the, uh, what is it, the movie rights or the television rights for The Foundation even before it uh, went out on the uh, on the press. So we can look for some kind of adaptation of this, either on the TV screen or the movie theaters, in the future. And if I can ask a real short question, is this how things work? Do they look and think about movie rights as they're going into some the Some do. These days? Certainly companies like Platinum Studios, and I'm sure readers who have been on the major spoiler site and others know that Platinum Studios essentially was created to get these titles or these ideas and then hype them to the movie studio so they can make a lot of money. Now, I'm not sure that that's how every comic book company deals with things, but certainly there are some great uh, titles out there from companies that, that do get, get the notice on the radar very easily or very early. Well, and I think now with more and more success from not just superhero movies, but movies like, uh, say, From Hell, which was based right. on a comic book. But was History it? of Violence. Right. Um, the one with Tom Hanks. He's a killer he's a gangster road oh to road to perdition, road to perdition mm-hmm. also started out as a comic book i think so uh, did Catwoman. yeah well uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> i'm just saying there's some good ones and then there's some stinkers but uh, you know they're like how can we how can we fast track this to make even more money off of a franchise right. i think right. everybody keeps an eye out for that yep all right that was our review of the foundation All right, now we're going on to the topic of the week. We asked this question last week. It was up on the website, and everybody got a chance to chime in. Last week, it was who would win in a fight, Batman or Spider-Man? Now, we have 62% of the people thought that Batman would win, hands down. Spider-Man... He will. Is this a quote from the this? This is actually some okay. quotes that people put up on the uh, on the polls. Okay, this quote is Batman, hands down. Sure, Spider Man will fight even after the fight has gone out of him, but Batman has this thing of not only fighting, but he fights dirty, and he tends to have a gadget for every situation. 
here you go. And only 38% of the people, of course, said Spider-Man. And our good friend Matthew Peterson wrote in and said, Why do you people insist on deifying Batman? Spider-Man has actual superpowers, folks. Batman has a Swiss army belt and an army of damaged children he's given an identity to. Which do you think has more relevance in a fight? But still, you the listener and you the reader of Major Spoilers said Batman would win in a fight between the two. And the three of us, I think, agreed. Yep. All right, well, our next question, which is up on the site now, you can keep answering until what time? Next week. Next week, okay. Here's the idea behind this. If you were, let's say you're digging around in the basement of your grandparents' house, and you find a magic amulet, and this amulet is going to give you one of four superpowers, what I think of as the classic superpowers. This is not Dial H for Hero or Ben 10, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Four powers. I have... No idea what those are. So <laughs> I don't know what Ben so 10 is, great. and you got a kid? All right. <laughs> well, no, I think uh, Jackson said something about it, but I okay. have no idea what it is. Okay. But I think of the classic, I think of Superman, basically, and, and the pared-down original Superman, uh, although one of these is beyond that. But anyway, uh, you can only get one of four of what I think of as classic superpowers. You can either have flight, super speed, super strength, or invulnerability. Which one would you choose and why? Well, um, I went. I went with super speed. Um, I, I think. Well, first off, again, this and this is this is the problem with nerds is like you have to actually <laughs> like start specifying things in the discussion. Assuming that I would not disintegrate my feet by running too fast. Assuming that I somehow had some amount of super stamina to go with it. Um, <laughs> you know, that's funny. That's the same thing my wife keeps saying. I wish you... Uh, <laughs> well, you already got the super speed. Uh, all right. Yeah. Anyway, um, I think um, both in a real-world context and in a superhero context, super speed would be great. You can get around faster. You can do things faster. If you're a superhero, you can dodge bullets. Although if the bullets actually hit you, you'll be in trouble. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of a catch-all, all-purpose power that can uh, that can really help you out. I said invulnerability because, and I guess if if we really analyzed why people chose these, you could probably find out more about their psyche. But I'm just thinking I could be the baddest mother effer on the planet. No one would be able to hurt me, right? I could go into a bank. People could shoot me. Bullets are bouncing off of me. You could drop a safe on my head. I'd be fine there. I could just basically live through everything. Yeah, but the point is... I, I think what you have to do is peel pieces so, away. So, yes, if I wanted to be the hero, I could go into a burning building and pull people well, out that, without ever... Go. But going into the bank, and if, you, if you're... You know, you can't rob it. You don't have super strength. And I think... Well, I what, can still carry some money. Well, that's true. But or just, a gun. Yeah, there or you but go. the people can all run away from you. Now, here, here's... And, and Rodrigo is right. When I thought about this, I wished we could have had two, three paragraphs to define all this stuff. Because <laughs> here's the idea for me, is that uh, if you have flight, you can lift about 100 pounds above your body weight. Yeah. But the idea is that you can't get up underneath the crippled airplane and help it land because that's super strength and flight. Right. So there are combinations of things you can't do. With the, with the super speed, again, you can carry maybe, you know, a small child with you. Um my mine would be super strength. I think in the real world, if you wanted to help people, the ability I I, I thought super strength about the ability to lift a car over your head, uh, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that would be the most helpful. But Rodrigo hit on a good thing. I think there are two ways to look at this. I think in the comics, super strength is probably better. I think in the real world, if you can only have one thing, I go with flight. 
I think flight would just be ridiculously fun. I think, I think so too. I think in the comics, flight, if you are flight alone, you are probably the worth, most worthless superhero uh-huh. available. What are you going to do? <laughs> your, your reconnaissance, and that's it. We're looking so, at you, Angel. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Unless you well, I was going to say Peter Petrelli, but, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, can he lift anything? Well, he can lift a person. Okay, well, He had see. to save his brother and save his daughter and... All those other things yeah, as he's flying you, around, and that was his power as flight. Yeah, if you, but see the thing is, I'm you know, flight is not even an original Superman. You know, it was no, it was leap. he could leap, leap yeah. higher, yeah. which, which I th- I like better than flight. Well, that, well, and this is kind of going off topic, but I really like how uh, Superman the animated series, how he's portrayed in the Superman the animated series, where he doesn't, he's not all powerful yeah. like we see in the Justice League. Uh, unlimited where in the final episodes of what is it season four where he says oh i've had to hold back dark side now i can take out my power on you no in in you know originally he's this person that is not right all powerful and even that laser beams out the eyes and all that and the powers that he does have he has a little bit of trouble controlling so he actually does accidentally punch through things or you know can't turn off his uh laser vision well and actually if you get the dvd set which i got for a birthday present one year um if you go and look through some of the uh, extras that they have, I think it's, um, I can't think of who it is now. He's a blonde-headed guy. Is it Bruce Tim? Probably. Yeah. Well, he's talking about the fact that he took a lot of guff for the first season of Justice League in that Superman was getting hurt all the time and knocked out by things. And Pete, I guess he said fans were kind of upset that, hmm. you know, but what, like he said... You get you do away for any reason of having a team of superheroes if everything that happens Superman can control and Superman can withstand. Right. What, what's the point of him? So. Right, right. All right, well, we appreciate your responses and your thoughts, and make sure if you want to vote, go ahead and vote, but then jump over to the forums and explain your vote. That's kind of the fun of all of this. So we've got uh, Super Speed from Rodrigo, Invulnerability from Steven. Yep. And I've got super strength, so if we get one more person who likes to fly, we're a team, man. Yeah. We're like the... We're like the super friends. Wonder Twin Powers activate! (laughs) All right, head over to the forum, take the poll, and then talk it out on the forums. Our next review is our trade paperback section of the podcast, and that is Left on Mission, written by Chip Mosier, drawn by, and this is a name I can't even pronounce, Francesco Francavella. Villa. Color by Martin Thomas. And did, you say, when, did you say Bob Vila? Yeah. This old house. When a rogue agent threatens the entire U.S. intelligence operation by putting classified information on the black market, there's only one man that can stop her, Eric Westfall. Pulled out of his perfect suburban retirement, Westfall must track down the traitorous Emma and eliminate her. But an international espionage is, all, is not all what it seems. Eric and Emma have a history. A romantic history. And when Eric discovers Emma might have more noble motives in mind, can he complete the mission? It's left on mission... From Boom Studios. Steven's thoughts. Not my thoughts. Well, I I thought this story was obviously a spy thriller love story that, to be quite honest, I was not prepared for the story when I read it. I was really something, I was really expecting something that was cheesy, high action, you know, like James Bond movie 20, you know, when it was just simply mm-hmm. called James Bond 20. That's what I was expecting, but I was pleasantly surprised when I got through this piece that it really was something that is, it's really a, a spy thriller. I, I mean, Left on Mission deals with inner emotions of being a government agent and falling in love with a fellow spy. Um, essentially, as we've seen, Westfall has been a, pulled out of retirement to go do this mission where uh, this spy, Emma, 
is going to sell all these government secrets on a laptop to the Russians, and he has to stop her. And so it starts off with him flying to Cuba, which is, if you've read the Ian Fleming or Ian Fleming stories, you know, he loved Cuba, and he said a lot of his stories down in the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. And so this really felt like when it started off like a James Bond story uh, set in this Caribbean environment. You've got these old 1950s cars. I was just instantly thinking, ah, Dr. No, (laughs) ah, you know, all these other great stories. And it just kind of really changed after that. I mean, it's 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 later revealed that the laptop just isn't, you know, top secret information that's being turned right, over not, to the Russians. It's not just the MacGuffin that you have to go get. Right. It's actually, in this case, uh, hard proof that the president of the United States is condoning torture of prisoners and essentially wanting to get rid of the Geneva Convention. And Emma's thoughts are, if I sell this and the word gets out of what the president's doing— It'll bring down the government and really show what what's going on here. And whenever I first read the story of here's the bad guy, here's this bad person selling secrets, I'm all behind Eric going, yeah, let's go get her. Let's bring this person down. And then you suddenly find out what her motives are for doing this. And suddenly you're like, holy crap, what's this guy going to do? Yeah. Yeah. I I will jump in here, I guess. I did like the book. This was the first of the uh, Boom Studio pieces that I read. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we did have three pieces, I think. Uh, yeah. One of them being uh, Second Wave, too. Right. Um, I like this one as well. Uh, like the action pages. One of the things I've been noticing a lot, um, and again, when I started reading comic books back in the 80s, there was a lot more kind of um, story, you know, a lot of, thought balloons and all this kind of stuff. What I'm seeing in these is there's a lot of pages where there's a lot of action with absolutely no dialogue. There's a great scene where in uh, Cuba, Eric has to meet up with this guy called Painter, who's his his fellow agent. I don't know if they're from the same agency or whatever. Uh, But they have to go and interrogate this person for information. And so, of course, there's this embedded spy down in Havana who's driving the cab around. And they take this guy out and they're in the back of the cab. And they ask the driver, hey, is is there a bottom out on the back of this car? And they're like, yes. And so as you're driving down the road, all you see is this panel of of the Chevy driving and you just hear this kathunk and you see this blood streaming out from behind the car and then a question's asked again and then kathunk you see this blood coming out from behind the car again very few words in that but it's really i thought good action well yeah and i think i look at these um i think comic books have a lot to do with the way i look at because i do videography the way i look at framing and the way i look at yes. cinematography mm-hmm. sort of not I, I guess can you use that term for video cinematography yes but yeah. What I do is I think I think the art direction, it shows you, and in this book, it does a lot of stuff. It shows you different angles when he first meets his contact in Cuba. Um, it's got shots of him checking the phone, shot from, like, on top of them, as, as if the cab top is removed. Right. Just a lot of different action shots. Um, I thought that they were all very good and interesting. I think the number of panels and the orientation of the panels helped pace the story along, and it's not just consistent from one panel to the next. They have a a series of very thin panels that kind of move action along. Um, The blood splatters that go out of the panel onto the white space of the page in between the panels when there's something bloody going on. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I just think those little touches like that are are kind of neat art direction. Uh, They help move the story along. I did think the story slowed down a little bit in book three. Um, 
and there were a set of pictures that he he's thinking back of Emma, and they're kind of filling in some of the story. Yeah, the romance. Yeah, it, it did. It, I mean, I think this was something they had to do, but it did kind of slow the pacing down at that point. Um, well, I'll just come in on that uh, sort of the graphic aspect. I would not in a hundred years have picked up this comic book. The the art just isn't the kind of thing that I like. I don't really like spies mm-hmm. all that much. You know, nobody was lifting cars over their heads. <laughs> not 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 really necessarily what I'm into. Once I started reading it, though, sort of technically they do a lot of cool things. Like Brian said, having things that sort of burst off the panel. Um, they do this thing where, like, he's remembering something and then cutting back and forth between where he is now and his memory sort of in the same space. And they do that really well um, to the point where there's a point where you're back in the present, but you're still hearing the past. And they do that sort of with like see-through word balloons, but they're not like little cloudy thought balloons. You know, they're still there. They're solid, you know, and they're kind of fading away. You know, a lot of that technical stuff was great. Um, As far as the story, uh, I liked it. I I think uh, it's, it's a great thing what they do is just sort of like this is uh you know this is a spy thriller but actually it's a love story dressed up like a spy thriller yeah. like there's all this cool it's action like going the spy around who loved me without being right without him shooting a laser out of his watch or is that a different <laughs> yeah. one i don't yeah. remember um that's everyone man. yeah <laughs> that, pretty much um you know the and um I thought it was that was that aspect of it was great. They go into the psychological aspect, you know, all of these uh, agents that are basically completely wrecked in the head through all their years of working on this and still kind of trying to find love with each other and basically their jobs getting in the way. Well, and I thought that's that's the part Brian didn't like that slowed down. But I actually like the part where you're in the flashback of how they met. And it's Emma who actually approached Eric and said, look, we're at the same security level. We are at the same. I looked you up. I found you out by going through the records, and I think we're compatible because we have the same uh, government clearance. We have the same psychological profile. But uh, we part- can talk about stuff. And you know, essentially, she's forcing him to go out with her, and kind of almost forcing him to fall in love with her because of the situation that they're in. Yeah, that part kind of confused me. I, I wasn't really clear on. Uh, when she shows up, if that they had known each other before, at what point it was, and then I got it once we got through it, but I, I think maybe a little bit more clarity on the fact that she went into the files, and you know her purpose was to find somebody to go out with because right. that for me I just I was a little confused by about that. But one thing I just want to say a couple real quick things. Um, I thought it was a very sparse story. And I think that worked well. Mm-hmm. There it's was a quiet mood. Yeah. It's a quiet. It's a quiet book. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of heavy themes, a lot of stuff you had to get through. It was pretty simple. Somebody, you know, bad guy is going to sell stuff. We find out that she's not the bad guy, essentially. Uh, he keeps, uh, you know, he keeps the other agent off balance all the time, which is kind of funny, yeah. an ongoing thing. Right. The the storytelling, there's a part where he goes into a discotheque to find her. Yes. And he goes, oh, great, strobes. And the, they got really thin panels. Mm-hmm. And it'll be the panel... With yeah, the lights it's like on, red, and red then the panel, panel, and then it's and dark, it's black, yeah, yeah, and it, and it, there's the way they're paced, the art direction. I think that really does. Uh, it's visual storytelling. It's really effective. One thing they also do that I like, uh, and they only did it once that I could see. There's a shot of the bedroom when she's leaving in mm-hmm. the flashback. Mm-hmm. 
the background of the page is the bedroom. Yes. And her action in it is actually panels that cut up the background, but yep. the background is the yep. same in the same mm-hmm. places. Uh, and so it makes an image that looks like frames and her in different places on it. And I think, I, and I, I think that's good in that they used it once. And they didn't go, oh, this is a cool trick. And yeah. you saw it every book or something you know, like my, that. So my like favorite that. panel was, I think it's a double-page spread. I'd have to go back and look. But it's essentially this fisheye shot during the exchange oh, yeah, where yeah. it's during the where she's supposed to be handing the secrets off to the Russians. And Westfall comes up to the plaza where it's at. And he's like, okay, let's see what we got here. And he's down in the lower left-hand corner. If you can imagine a big old barrel distortion fisheye lens, you got the Russians. And then you look up and he goes, and there's the sniper. And then there's Painter on that one. And right. then there's Emma. And it's just a beautiful... Beautifully well done shot that displays the whole scene of exactly what you need. If this were done in a TV show or a movie, it'd be all these zip cuts and all these uh, swish zooms from one location to the next as you hear this person saying, okay, we got this, this, and this. But in this one wide, super wide angle shot, you see all the action played out. Yeah, and and again, for me, um, you know, the you know, the way the characters are drawn doesn't really do much for me. Mm-hmm. Um Although I got to say that unlike uh, the foundation, there's never any confusion as to which characters which. They all right. have a very strong personality, but it's sort of the technical aspects of the art that really do it for me. Like that fisheye shot, like the fading word balloons, like the cutting up the you know time within a single uh, within a single space, um, and you know cutting back and forth between action and reaction shots mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I thought that was that's that's what makes this book for me now we're gonna i'm gonna give away a big spoiler to this book and of course it wouldn't be a major spoilers podcast if we weren't going to reveal this you're gonna spoil what what (laughs) all throughout the piece all throughout the the story eric is telling emma don't do this they're gonna kill you don't do this if you do it you're gonna have to disappear forever they're gonna kill you the first chance they get and she's like well I've learned to play the flute, and I've got this gig with the Whirling Dervishes over in this country, and I'm going to be there on Friday. And she says it like twice in a couple of exchanges that Eric and Emma met. And in my mind, the second time that she said it, I knew exactly what she was doing. Yeah. She was doing a suicide by proxy. Right. And, of course, she doesn't do the exchange with the Russians. She actually put explosives in the, in the, in the briefcase, blew it up. Um, she was going to turn this other hard drive over to the U.N., but sure enough, she goes to, to the dervishes, and it doesn't matter what Eric does to try to save her, she dies. Now, was that the ending that you were expecting? Um, well, and, and I saw it coming, too. I think, um, like, he wakes up and she's gone again. Um, just, you know, like, one right. day he wakes up and she's gone back in... Uh, whatever time. Whatever period. time it was. And then, you know, there's that sort of mirror of he wakes up and she's gone, goes down. And he's like, where is she? He's like, oh, she went to play the flute. I was like, ah, okay, I know what's going to happen now. Um, so I didn't necessarily see it. You know, I saw it coming from three pages away, not right. since okay. from the beginning of the book. Well, it wasn't the beginning for me, but it was probably like probably would have been issue two out of the trade when mm-hmm. they first meet. That I was like, eh. And to me, kind of knowing that ahead of time of what was going to happen kind of let some of these other suspense moments seem as kind of an afterthought, like this big exchange with the Russians, which was supposed to be very tense. Right. Mex- you know, the Mexican standoff kind of thing. And all of a sudden, I'm just kind of like, well, it doesn't have the impact knowing what's going to happen down the down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and that was my main complaint about the whole story. Other yeah. than that, I loved it. Yeah, I didn't really think about it too much. But yeah, what, uh, what kind of rating, Stephen? Well, I thought there was just enough uh, violence in the story. There weren't over-the-top gadgets. It was a good story. The art was top-notch. 
I'm giving it a four and a half out of five. Or because Brian doesn't like the point five <laughs> system, I'm giving it a solid four out of five. Yeah. Uh, this is the second, uh, well, actually the first boom that I read. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I I think that right now um, they're very strong. I haven't read anything else from them. But I've oh, read you ought two. to read The Fall of Cthulhu. Okay. I've read, read two so far. Uh, again, incredibly well thought out story, well written. Um, and I don't know if this is the hallmark of their book, or, or not their book, but their company, but I think it's a good place to be. It's not just fluff and picture. Um, yeah, I would give this a four out of five. I would say that uh, this compared to the foundation, if I had to make a list top to bottom, I'd put foundation on the top above this. But yeah, this I enjoyed the the read, and I think it's good. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to give it four. Uh, great story. You know the the art didn't grab me at first, but sort of the the technical stuff around it. You know, just sort of excellent cinematography. Um, and that's that's basically what I would say. It's a great book. Pick it up. And Stephen didn't spoil the very end. No, because so there's, there's one still, other there's little. There's still bit. the big. Surpri- yeah. There's still the big punch coming. Yeah. Oh, can so I pick can it up? I? No. Wait. One. I just want to slip one other thing in. Um, the stuff that we got had a third title, second wave. So oh, I yeah, thought, I, okay, I didn't read that one. I'd, maybe that one got really? slipped in by accident to you. Maybe when I was trying to put the foundation issue two in there, I put that. <laughs> you weren't supposed to read it, but that's oh, okay. Go can, ahead, can, go can ahead. Speak about it then. Sure, go ahead, real quick. <laughs> I'm I'm saying right now, Boom Studio, you're three for three as far as I'm is concerned. Second wave from Boom. Boom. I, I think. I think it is. Okay. Well, second wave will look. Well, yeah, I can take a look here and quick. But anyway, second wave uh, is uh, kind of a follow-up, basically, to War of the Worlds. Oh, yes. Um, I think that is boom. And uh, I thought that was also very well written. Um, with it, I had a little problem sometimes with the art telling if people were pointing at certain things or thinking that maybe I was supposed to be seeing something that I didn't quite see. But a really good... It's a trade as well. Let me see. I'm trying to find it, too. It's a trade paperback. Yeah, it's essentially a follow-up to World of the Worlds, what happened if the aliens came back and started attacking. I did read a first couple of pages of, the, of that. That is from Boom Studios. Yeah, yep. it is from Boom. Um, but with this, I mean, it's there's so many layers of this that's going on, and I'll just kind of do a little background really quick. Um, it's It features a man who, when the first wave comes... Uh, he tells his wife to go into the basement and wait. He's going to get the car. They're going to get out of there because a fire truck, a fire engine has flown through the sky and landed in their front yard. Uh, when he gets out to move the car, one of the tripods shows up and essentially crushes the house and kills his wife. Wow. So now he's got all this guilt about it. Well, everything happens. The first wave dies, and then all of a sudden a second wave comes, and he has been praying essentially for a second wave because he wants to take out his revenge. So, of course, that happens. Um, And then it's about uh, people trying to get along or trying to get through this second wave, and and they're picking up people as they go. Him and his friend are traveling, trying to get someplace, and they're picking up people as they go. And one of the people in their group think that our main character is responsible for her husband getting killed by Mm. this new wave of aliens. And Mm -hmm. so all through the book, she hates him. She gets a chance to get a gun. She points it at him. She finally gives it up. Later in the book, she needs a gun, so they give her one, or he gives him, he gives her his, and then again she shoots somebody to protect him. But he was actually in the line of sight, so he asks her, you know, you you were aiming at him, right? And she just gives him the gun back and doesn't say anything. So they've they've developed all these different layers in the conflict, and I just uh, again I think 
this if this is indicative of the work they do, I think they've got really strong storytelling, and and that's the key for me. And I enjoyed this book too. And don't forget the editor in chief at Boom Studios is none other than my favorite writer of all time, Mark Wade. Yeah, well, who, and- who I fell in love with the stuff that he was doing in the Flash. And that's where I kind of picked up on a lot of the stuff he did. He also did uh, Brian's favorite, uh, Kingdom Come. Yeah, well, and and like I said, I think that maybe I've read stuff from the other major groups. And, you know, sometimes it's hit and miss. And a lot of it, too, depends on if you know the character, if you know the backstory and all that stuff. With these, I just really think they're, it's for, I don't know, they're not marked for mature readers. But I think you can appreciate that it's actually a good story, good character development. And like I said, a lot of layers going on. Cool. Well, and also, um, they're not they're not superhero books. No, they're um, not, yeah, yeah. None know, of the stories that we re- re- have reviewed from Boom are the traditional superhero. I, I think you know this this company is really trying to blaze a new trail. Just you know, where they, they seem to be all about story, um, and they are not doing the same thing that everybody else is doing. So I agree. I agree. So. Sounds like we are loving what Boom Studios is doing. As more issues come out in the future or more new titles come out in the future, we will certainly try to get to reviewing those as well. And hopefully we can get hands on future editions of the Foundation because I need... I, I'm, I'm Brian needing, needs his fix. <laughs> I needed to know what happens now. You can find out about their titles at boom-studios.com. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Don't forget to tell your friends about the show, and be sure to visit the website at Majorspoilers.com. Feel free to drop us a line or an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com, and be sure to get involved in the Major Spoilers forums. And you can find a link on the front page of Major Spoilers site to get to the forums. Next week, a special guest. I hope it's Wonder Woman. I hope that came through, did it? Did you yeah, hear I'm that, sure actually? <laughs> Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the Man of Steel I'm gonna rearrange your face if you continue to debate Whether Logan's claws could pierce Steve Rogers' shield I just couldn't care if they bring back Craven. Spider-Man's a clone